The following podcast contains explicit language. So, what should we do for lunch today? Brooke is sick, so she cannot get us lunch. Uh, who's the good? Which is the good gluten-free sushi place? Hello, and welcome to Happier in Hollywood, the podcast about how to be happier, healthier, saner, more creative, more successful, and more productive in a backbiting, superficial, chaotic, unpredictable, fundamentally insane world. I'm Sarah Fain, a TV writer and executive producer living in Los Angeles. And with me is my high school friend and writing partner of 17 years, Liz. That's me, Liz Kraft, also a TV writer and producer living in L.A. On this podcast, we talk about what it's like to be writers in Hollywood, how we manage to mesh a career and friendship, and how to survive the war of attrition that is life in Los Angeles. Happier in Hollywood is all about how to survive and thrive no matter where you are or what you do. In this episode, we'll have an update on our hearts full of love, or not full of love in my case. In episode one, we talked about work mantras. Well, this week, we're going to share our life mantras. In our segment, Take a Hike, we'll learn about the blood test that changed Sarah's life. It definitely did. We'll also have our weekly Hollywood hack. Yes. So in our first episode, we talked about the notion of having a heart full of love, Um, It came up because you had a sort of visceral reaction to the phrase um, when it came up on my other podcast, Happier, with Gretchen Rubin. Mm. And we got a ton of emails and voicemails about the subject. And just to remind our listeners, I do have a heart full of love. And Sarah, you do not have a heart full of love. (laughs) Right. And it's actually been incredibly comforting to hear from people out there who also don't feel that they have hearts full of love. And very sweetly, to also hear from people who feel like I secretly do. Um, So let's dive in. And I should say, we got so many emails that we sort of had to categorize them. It was kind of amazing. Yes, it was an incredible response. First, we had the group of people who didn't even like that we brought up this question. (laughs) They felt that the notion of who does or doesn't have a heart full of love unfairly blames single people. Right. Elise said the comment felt like a punch in the stomach. She felt it perpetuates the idea that someone is single because they are attracting negativity. Yes. Yeah. No, I really, I I completely got where that group of people is coming (laughs) from. Um, And then there was a group who sort of were analytical about the source of your heart, either full of or not full of love. Mm -hmm. Some people who felt like it was an innate thing and some people who felt like it was learned. It's like the age-old nature versus nurture question. Um, Adrian in Kansas City, always nice to hear from someone from Kansas City, felt like it's all about parenting. She said, even though I have parents that loved me and provided everything I needed materially, they were emotionally immature and didn't know how to respond healthfully to my emotional needs. And then, let's see, Kristen also felt like maybe there's an aspect of sort of emotional wounds related Mm. to whether your heart is full of love or not full of love. She thought maybe I had a past betrayal somewhere in my life. Intriguing. I know. Very interesting, right? Um, And then Ruthie from Birmingham, who's like my favorite person, said that she thinks this aspect of one's personality is innate and mostly immutable, although I do think we all work within ranges or bandwidths that can fluctuate based on our life experiences. And then she concluded, and I love this, don't feel as though something's wrong with you just because you don't skip through life scattering daisies in your path. You obviously have a heart full of love for Violet, and you've shared an almost lifelong friendship with Liz. So how stony can your heart be? (laughs) You're just choosy. Nothing wrong with that. Thank you, Ruthie. Good point. (laughs) 
Oh, and then this was really sweet, Sarah, from Anita. She said, your discussion of the heartful of love expression reminded me of a beautiful compliment that my now husband gave me back when we were dating. He said, your face is never far from a smile. I thought it was the most lovely thing I'd ever heard, so I married him. And I feel like maybe it links in with my having a heart full of love. Now, 11 years and two kids later, I reckon that face of mine can get very far from a smile at times. <laughs> but that lovely expression still stays with me. And I take great pride in being the lady with the face that's never far from a smile. Oh, I love that. I love that, too. What's funny to me, though, is I said I do have a heart full of love, but definitely my face is not one that's never far from a smile. Like, I am not that person. (laughs) Yeah, you're not super smiley. I am not. And then, Sarah, my probably my favorite of these, uh, bad language alert, Um, Dennis (laughs) said, hi, ladies, just wanted to let you know I have a heart full of love, but it has a fucking lock on it. Nice, Dennis. I'm with you. (laughs) And finally, Jen said, I was really surprised when Sarah said she doesn't feel she has a heart full of love because after hearing the stories of her getting Liz a personalized bullet journal and making the work mantra signs, I immediately pictured her as the Leslie Nope of friend gift giving, constantly making grand creative expressions of love. Okay, there is no one I would rather be compared to on the planet than Leslie Nope, who, if you don't know, is the lead character in Parks and Rec and one of my favorite characters of all time. Amy Poehler. <laughs> yes. So thank you, Jen, and everyone else who wrote in to say they do think I have a heart full of love. You may be right in my own Leslie Nopeish way. <laughs> okay, Sarah, it is time for the segment we call From the Treadmill Desks Of, where we talk about what's most pressing in our work psyches this week. And this week, what's most pressing is work-life balance. We're heading into an incredibly busy period. We're going to be working on a new show from Shondaland. Yes, created by Paul Davies and produced by the one and only Shonda Rhimes. It's called For the People. And of course, we're also developing and doing a podcast. (laughs) So as we're entering into this extremely busy time, we're reminded of one of our favorite sayings, a mantra, if you will, which is never confuse having a career with having a life. Yes. And this mantra comes from a gift that my mom gave me when I was in grad school. She literally saw it like printed on an L.L. Bean bag (laughs) and she cut it out and had it framed and gave it to me. And I've had it on walls all over the country. Well, and what's funny about it is it's so not your mom because she really (laughs) was focused on work. Absolutely. No, it's not my mom at all. She was a total workaholic. I don't think the concept of work-life balance really ever entered her mind. But I think part of what really makes it meaningful to me is that, and sort of poignant, is that it came from her, you know, even though she didn't seem to value that for herself, she does want me to value that. All right, Sarah. So we talked in our first episode about a work mantra for this development season. We chose relentless entertainment or relentlessly entertaining. We keep going back and forth between the two. But today we're going to talk about our life mantras because they're not work mantras and life mantras are not the same, or at least they should not be. Yes, absolutely. Um, Now, you historically, Liz, have not been much of a mantra person. 
No, I am not <laughs> at all like touchy feely or any of that. At least I wasn't. I mean, I will say since I started to co-host Happier with Gretchen Rubin, my other podcast, I've very much embraced the world of mantras and find they give me a lot. Mm-hmm. Now, I will say most mantras are usually kind of clever or quirky or fun word plays. Um, but the one that I have chosen for my life mantra at the moment is very basic. Mm-hmm. Are you ready? I'm ready. Okay. It's okay to be happy. That's it. <laughs> it's it's a- very, that is very deep. It's simple, but it's very deep and hard to do. Um, yeah. Well, here's why I picked it's okay to be happy. I am one of these people, and I think many of us are out there. I feel guilty if I'm happy. Right. Like, I feel like if I'm too happy, I'm asking for trouble. Mm-hmm. Like, I'm bringing in bad luck because I'm too happy. And this isn't true, obviously. It makes no logical sense. Um, and I'm really trying. And so instead of looking, if I feel happy, going, oh, well, something's wrong. Like, well, I'm worried about this. I'm worried about this. This bad thing could happen in four years. I'm trying to stop that cycle and go, it's okay to be happy. I can just enjoy being happy. I mean, I have to say there are many mornings when I get up and I walk out to the coffee maker and I'm like, I feel great. I love my life. I love my house. I love my family. Like, I have an awesome job. You have a great writing partner. I have a great writing partner, (laughs) for God's sake. What is not to love? And so what I'm really trying to do is just be happy and say, it's okay. Great. I've worked hard. It's okay to be happy. I mean, something bad will no doubt happen. I can be sad then. (laughs) Absolutely. What's what's interesting to me is that you're sort of... um, in your life, embracing a philosophy that we've had professionally for a long time. Uh, you know, like we have said for years, like yes. things are good right now and we have to appreciate <laughs> yes, it when yes. they're good because there will be a time when they're not. So now you're actually applying this to, to your my... life outside of work, which yes. is much more important. So if you hear me sort of like worrying about things that aren't yet an issue or harping on something that's not important, will you remind me that my mantra in life is it's okay to be happy and I should just be happy? It's okay to be happy. Yes, I will be telling you that. Okay. Now, you forever had the life mantra, kill the croc. And you have to tell that story because that's really when I think mantras started in your life. And this was in like 2006, I believe. That was your mantra. I think you're right. Yes. It was when I was in grad school um, and I had a dream And I feel like in your life, you will have maybe five dreams that stick with you for your entire life. I had a dream. It was at a really difficult time in my life. Uh, Like all three of my grandparents had died in a year. There was a lot going on. I was really sort of unhappy and struggling in a lot of ways. And I had this dream in which I had like a very intense, visceral battle with a crocodile. (laughs) And it was like I could feel it hitting me in the face with its tail and just like you know, trying to like wrench its jaws closed and keep it from biting me. And I had a dog, Blixen, at the time. And it was like me and Blixen fighting this crocodile. And finally, and I was like bloody and battered and Blixen was bloody and battered. And finally, it ended with me like stomping on the crocodile's head Mm, um, and killing it. So I looked up the meaning of killing a crocodile in your dream. And first of all, crocodiles symbolize freedom, hidden strength and power. And they also forewarn signs of danger. So it's like I felt like in kind of killing this crocodile, I was like taking back the power in my life and just being a super 
powerful, stronger person in kind of dealing with all these things that were going on. So that was my mantra for many years. I had it, you know, on my computer whenever the screensaver would come up. I remember. Yes. And that got us through a lot of hard times when we first moved to L.A. It did. It really did. Okay, but now you're a different person. I mean, (laughs) I think since you've had Violet, you've just become so much like softer um, and happier. I don't think you feel the need to kill the croc in your life so much. Um, and so given all that, you have chosen for yourself a new life mantra. Yes, I have. So my new life mantra, which is radically different from, <laughs> from Kill the Croc, actually comes from the mother of one of Violet's school friends, yeah. Joy Blake, who's also a TV writer. Oh, yes. Um, she has four kids, which like bow down to Joy Blake, right? Um, and she's always posting pictures on Facebook of clouds. And mm. she just says, look up. Mm. And she just posts these amazing, beautiful pictures of all different kinds of clouds. And I thought, that's the perfect mantra for me at this stage in my life. It's so easy to get kind of sucked into only thinking about work, like on a macro level. And on a micro level, it's like, I just need to remember to look up from my phone and look Violet in the eyes and really engage with what we're doing and stop having a narrow focus and really expand. So that's my new life mantra. Look Mm, up. That's a beautiful notion, I have to say. It I is. feel a little teary at that. I got to give want Joy my Blake mantra credit. to be look up. <laughs> Your mantra is wonderful. It's okay to be happy, yeah. Liz. <laughs> All right. Well, let us know what your life mantras are. Tweet us at Elizabeth Craft or at Sarah M. Fain, or send us an email at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. You can also Instagram a photo of your life mantra, hashtag happierinhollywood. And I will post a picture of my gift from my mom. Never confuse having a career with having a life. Up next, we'll talk about the blood test that changed my life. But first, a word from our sponsor. So, Liz, now it's time for a segment we call Take a Hike, in which we discuss mental, physical, and because it's L.A., spiritual health, probably in a fairly woo-woo way. Yes. And this week, our focus is physical health. Mm -hmm. Uh, Your physical health, to be (laughs) specific. Sarah, eight months ago, you took a blood test that changed your life. And we'll get to that test in a second. Um, But first, let's go back a little bit. Um, This journey begins with the fact that your mom, as you've mentioned, has Alzheimer's. And especially since you had Violet, your daughter, your sort of drive in life is to avoid getting Alzheimer's. Yes, that's true. I'm very determined. And so for the last couple of years, I've been going to a new doctor because I've been dealing with a lot of inflammation. So if you didn't already know this, one of the major contributors to all disease, but especially Alzheimer's, is inflammation. Um, So my new doctor had discovered that I have a lot of inflammation in my body. And over the last year and a half, we've been spending a lot of time trying to figure out exactly why that is and how to deal with it. And before we get into this test, it is something that any doctor in any town could do, right? This isn't just L.A. (laughs) Yes, I think probably it's happening more in L.A. than other places, maybe. (laughs) But um, but yes, in theory, any doctor 
could absolutely give this test. Okay. So what is the name of the test for anyone who is taking notes? All right. So if you find you have a lot of inflammation and you're trying to figure out why, this test I took is called the IgG Food Antibody Assessment. And you basically take it to figure out how your gut health is um, and if you're eating things that just don't work for your body. So one of the things that my doctor had figured out is that I had something called leaky gut, which <laughs> basically sounds great. I know it's delightful, right? So which basically means that things that I've been eating weren't giving me the proper nutrients. My body was reacting badly to them instead of reacting well to them. So for example, I just done a round of whole 30, which is like a super intense healthy eating program. And I felt good after doing it, but I didn't feel great. And you're really supposed to feel great. Yeah. Whole30, which was created by Melissa Hartwig, is actually something that Gretchen and I have discussed on Happier. And Melissa is actually going to have a a podcast as part of the Onward Project later on uh, in a few months. So stay tuned for that. But basically, Whole30 is a program in which you just eat really healthy food for 30 days. Yes, exactly. Um, And I'm dying for Melissa's podcast. Um, I will be a huge devotee of that. Um, But after doing Whole30, I didn't feel amazing. You're supposed to get this thing called tiger blood. And I um, had a friend who was doing it at the same time, and she kept posting, like, I have tiger blood. I feel amazing. Mm. And I was like, where's my fucking tiger blood? I've been eating, like, nothing but, you know, super healthy food for 30 days. And I was, like, tracking, you know, they have a thing day to day of how you're supposed to feel. Mm. And I never got to tiger blood. And then, you know, and she was like, well, we didn't cheat at all. And I was like, I didn't cheat. Yes. And I watched you and I know how committed you were. You did not cheat. I was in awe. Thank you. Not even a little. So what I found out from this test, there were a couple kind of big bombshells in the IgG food antibody assessment. One of them was that the vegetables I'd eaten the most of during my whole 30, broccoli and asparagus, were the ones that I was most sensitive to. So, duh, no tiger blood. Okay. So at this point, Sarah, I have got to look through this test because it has... It's very intense. It's a very... It's, I mean, how many... It's how many pages? It's like 15 pages and it's got all sorts of charts and graphs, and maybe you'll color coding. Color coding. Maybe <laughs> you'll Instagram a picture of it. I, I will. Um, hashtag happier in Hollywood. Um, <laughs> but anyway, it's got all these different foods, and the blood test tells you how you react to them. Yeah. And some of them, there are red boxes by some things like banana, asparagus, broccoli, pineapple. There's a pink box by cabbage, and yellow boxes by avocado, oysters. Yeast and chocolate. Yeah. So what do all these little boxes mean? Okay, so everything with a red box was something that I'm extremely sensitive to. And I had to stop eating those things for six months. So I couldn't have banana, asparagus, broccoli, or pineapple for six months. The pink boxes I couldn't have for four months. And the yellow boxes I couldn't have for three months. So three solid months with no chocolate, but worse, three months with no avocado. You're a big avocado eater. Eat a lot of avocado. Um, so that was really tough. But none of that, I mean, all of that was livable. All of yeah. that was like, okay, that sucks. Moving yeah. on. Right. You can do then, anything for six months. Yes. That was not, yeah, no broccoli for six months <laughs> was not what brought you back to the office in tears. No. That was the fact that I... I'm gluten sensitive. So I sat down across from my doctor. She's going over the test with me and she says, well, you have gluten sensitivity. That means you can't have gluten 
you have to one hundred one hundred and ten percent avoid gluten for the rest of your life. She was basically like, if you don't want to get Alzheimer's, which I don't, that's the whole drive of my life. I, <laughs> I think you can't have gluten. Like the biggest thing I can do is cut out gluten. And you don't have celiac disease, no. But you're gluten sensitive, and that means when you eat gluten, it causes a lot of inflammation, which is the root of all of the inflammation, no doubt, that you've been dealing right. with. Certainly a big part of it. Yeah. So I bald. Yeah. Um, which apparently is not unusual. She well, says that like everybody she gives this information to cries. Um so I cried with the doctor and then I went out to my car and I called someone who we had just worked with who's also gluten sensitive. Yeah, Nicole Paulhouse, who is our former writer's assistant on a show called The Family. And uh, side note, Nicole is going to be a staff writer on Jenna Band's new show, Good Girls, premiering on NBC next year. So congrats to Nicole. Yay, Nicole. Shout out to Nicole. <laughs> um, so I called Nicole crying. And you should know, like, I had never called Nicole before. Right. And we hadn't worked with her in a yeah. while. So she must have been just like, why is Sarah Fane yeah. calling me and why is she crying? Um, and she was so amazing. I said, Nicole, I'm just leaving my doctor's office. She told me I'm gluten sensitive. And she goes, you know what? It's not that hard. Mm. And she kind of talked me down and made me feel like I could handle it and made it kind of very manageable. She goes, you know, I went camping with my friends last weekend. I just brought my own buns. And I was mm. like, well, I don't go camping with friends, so <laughs> that won't be a problem for me. Um, but she was like, you know, there's a lot of great gluten-free everything available now. If you go to the Studio City Farmer's Market, they have gluten-free donuts. Mm. Anyway, so it really, really helped me to talk to her. She was very sweet and helped me kind of unpanic myself. Well, and I have watched you, of course, deal with this whole thing, and I've been incredibly impressed with how you've embraced your new gluten-free life and it was pretty, uh, <laughs> since we've already said fucking, I'll say pretty fucking traumatic. <laughs> and, you know, to be honest, like, I know I should take this test. I have no doubt in my mind that it's a really worthwhile, helpful test. But I am terrified because I don't want to find out that I'm gluten sensitive or that I shouldn't eat, you know, something like that I like or that I can't have milk. Like, I just do not want to know that. Well, I think for you, like, you especially get it because you went through, like, a massive sort of health-slash-food upheaval in your own life when you were diagnosed with diabetes. Like, I think yes. you really get that, and I think having to deal with this on top of that would be really hard. You already have enough Yeah, that's with. true. I'm a type 1 diabetic, and when I found that out, yes, as you know, again, that was also very traumatic. Um, but, you know— be that as it may, I, like, even though it would be hard, I should still do it. I mean, this is just occurring to me, but like, it might help you control your diabetes if of you had that information. I, of course it would. I yeah. mean, you know, I have no doubt. I'm trying to build up to doing it. <laughs> you Honestly, can do it. I'm not making any promises <laughs> because I really am scared. Yeah. Um, all right. Well, okay. Now, Sarah, a lot of people think this is just a fad or sort of sham science. You know, everyone's very suspicious about right. anything nutrition-based. But that's one thing that I think is great about this test. It gives you actual scientific information. 
you know, ignorance is bliss, but information is power. Exactly. There's now like a massive gluten-free section in every grocery store. And I think people who haven't taken this test just assume that it's better to be gluten-free. And that's not true for everyone. You know, there are some people who are gluten-sensitive and some people who are not. And if you're not, you really don't have to avoid gluten. You know, eat bread while you can. Um, Like Liz, you may not be gluten-sensitive. Let's hope not. Right. Exactly. Um, And no matter how bad it is, really, it's worth it. You know, six months of avoiding all these foods has passed. The no gluten thing is forever. So when I balance out, you know, thinking about Violet, (laughs) totally makes me cheery, Mm -hmm. and wanting to know my future grandkids, I'm fine not having bread and donuts. I do. For the record, I do miss donuts. (laughs) Um, But, you know, grandkids, donuts, grandkids for sure win. Yes, I applaud you and I applaud the grandchildren. You will know because you're being so responsible with your health. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Coming up, our soon-to-be former assistant, Sad, gives us our weekly Hollywood hack. Get your feet on the floor. But first, an ad break. Okay, guys, it is time for our weekly Hollywood hack. And Brooke, before you move on to other things, sadly, Mm. uh, you are gracing us with a Hollywood hack. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Get your feet on the floor. Okay, what does that mean? So working out is a really big part of my life. And I know by now that, like, it has to happen first thing in the day or else it's never going to happen. Because, you know, you get to the end of the day, you're tired from work or you have, like, after work drinks or dinner. So it just doesn't happen. So it's 5 a.m. Oh, my God. Let's take a moment. Let's just admire that for a moment. 5 a.m. No child, and yet you're getting up at 5 a.m. Well, it's a struggle. (laughs) And it's the get your feet on the floor. In addition to setting, like, 35 alarms, (laughs) I have to remind myself that, like, once my feet, the soles of my feet have hit the floor, I might as well just get up. So I just swing my legs over the bed and, like, let them hit. Mm. And then it just carries me out. And then you're off. And then I'm off. Liz, it's funny, that reminds me of your dad's thing with Gretchen. Yes, my dad. um, So in high school, my sister wanted to have her room redone in pure duh, (laughs) which was a thing back (laughs) then. Yes. Um, And my dad said if she would run a certain amount, um, he would get her room redone for her. And But his thing was, you don't even have to run. You just have to get up and put on your running shoes. Because he knew once she had her running shoes on, she would probably go jogging. And she did. <laughs> so it worked. And I'm happy to report she did get her pure de room. I'm so glad. <laughs> yes. I, of course, was like, I'm not running. Right. <laughs> um, What's pure de? Pure de, it was like a store that had this very specific sort of paisley fabric. Mm. It, it was very 80s. It's nothing that translates till today. It was like the 80s version of, um, oh, you know, your backpack. Uh, oh, Vera Bradley. Yeah, it was like the 80s version of Vera Bradley. Yes, mm. exactly. Uh, but, I mean, you know, to this thing, it's like in L.A., we're so focused on our careers and mm-hmm. making it. Like, you have to remember, in terms of the Hollywood hack of it all, to exercise. So I think this is fantastic. Yeah, get your feet on the floor. And now, Brooke is really s- sort of doing that metaphorically, moving to this next stage of her career. That's right? true. Yeah. That You're is true. getting your feet on the floor so you can... Run your ass right into an amazing future. (laughs) (laughs) Congratulations, Brooke. (laughs) Run your ass into the future. And we will miss you. But we'll see you. It's fine. Yeah. 
And that's it for this episode of Happier in Hollywood. Do you have a life mantra? Do you have any gluten-free tips for Sarah? Please. (laughs) She needs these. Leave us a voicemail at 949-HAPPY21 or email us at happierinhollywood at gmail.com. And don't forget to Instagram your life mantras with the hashtag happierinhollywood. Thanks to our producer, Jennifer Lai, and thanks to Kristen Meinzer and Andy Bowers of Panoply. Thanks also to Gretchen Rubin. Happier in Hollywood is part of the Onward Project. Get in touch. I'm on Twitter at Elizabeth Craft, and Sarah is at Sarah M. Fain. If you like the show, please be sure to tell a friend and rate us and review us. It really helps us. And subscribe to us, most importantly, in Apple Podcasts. Until next week, I'm Liz Craft. And I'm Sarah Fain. Thanks for joining us. It's a fun job. And we enjoy it. Oh, Sarah, I didn't think you were going to be able to make it through talking about Violet and your future grandkids. Oh, I know. It's like, it's so tough. My future, my theoretical future grandkids better appreciate this. The tears. (laughs) 